I think the power of doing whole genome sequencing is it might circumvent the diagnostic process for many different individuals. That systematic procedure and exam that I talked about, I think it still has a very important role. But when you don't have a readily available avenue to diagnosis, I think whole genome is going to take that place, that first step when you don't know what you're dealing with. Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss their genomics research and how genomics is shaping their understanding of science and nature. Here's your host, Paul Broman. Hello, and welcome to episode 68 of the Genomics Podcast. Today's show is our final episode of our four-part mini-series on clinical whole genome sequencing. In this mini-series, we've talked a lot about how whole genome sequencing and genomics technologies have made their way into the clinic. And the genomics revolution is about so much more than just a technology platform. It's about improving life for patients and their families. Families of children with undiagnosed genetic diseases often face an uncertain and unpredictable journey, a diagnostic odyssey that can stretch on for years. Whole genome sequencing holds the promise of helping doctors diagnose genetic diseases in days. And it holds the promise of helping parents avoid months or years of inconclusive tests, hospital visits, and costly treatments. To discuss this topic, I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Vandana Shashi and Kimberly LeBlanc to the show. Vandana is Professor of Pediatrics at Duke University. And Kimberly is Associate Director of Research Operations for the Undiagnosed Diseases Network Coordinating Center at Harvard Medical School. Listen to Vandana and Kimberly explain how whole genome sequencing can short-circuit the diagnostic odyssey for patients with rare diseases. Well, welcome to our final episode in our four-part mini-series on clinical whole genome sequencing. And today we're going to talk about the Undiagnosed Diseases Network, or UDN, with two expert guests, Dr. Vandana Shashi and Kimberly LeBlanc. Vandana and Kimberly, welcome to the Genomics Podcast. Thanks for having Thank us. You. So I'm grateful to you both for taking some time out of your day to share your stories with us. And can you just start us off by briefly introducing yourselves and telling us how your journey in genomics got started? And maybe we can start with you, Vandana. Sure. I'm a clinical geneticist and a pediatrician. I work at Duke University Medical Center. And my involvement with the UDN and undiagnosed diseases really stemmed from my entire career experience of having patients in my clinic that were so hard to resolve with all the traditional approaches that we could use. Even as technology continued to evolve, our diagnostic rate inched up a little bit, but was never anything that was satisfactory in being able to resolve the numbers of diagnoses we wanted to. And so that's how I got involved with the UDN and, of course, the advent of sequencing, exome, and now genome sequencing and RNA sequences. All of these technologies have made the diagnoses much more tractable, although we still have a long way to go. I'll stop with that and have Kim talk about her side. Thank you, Vandana. 
So my name is Kimberly LeBlanc. I am a genetic counselor by training and became involved in the UDN, similar to what Vandana was mentioning, wanting to be able to provide answers to patients with undiagnosed conditions, patients who had exhausted their clinical options. The UDN seemed like an incredible opportunity to be able to bring together all of these clinicians and researchers from around the country and explore using innovative technologies to be able to diagnose patients. Wonderful. So if we can follow up on the Undiagnosed Diseases Network, can you kind of tell us a little bit more in detail about the mission of the network? What are some of the goals and what kind of research are you actively engaged in? Yes. The goal of the UDN is to, as I mentioned, bring together clinicians and researchers from across the United States to be able to explore the underlying cause of disease for patients who have been to multiple different medical centers without finding answers. So by bringing these clinicians and researchers together, the goal is to develop and share best practices and be able to explore new technologies that are out there in order to provide options to patients who don't have anywhere to go clinically. We are exploring different modalities in order to be able to diagnose these patients and ideally improve their care. Vandana, do you have anything to add about the research that you're doing in the in the network right now? Sure. So the network is really unique in that it brings together people with diverse expertise and everybody shares data and we are able to kind of work with one another to surmount the challenges of diagnosing people who come into the network. We do take challenging patients, for example, probably the most challenging. Right now, about 75% of patients who enter our study have a negative exome. So those are really challenging patients to take on. And so at the same time, the UDN utilizes an N of one approach. Every patient is unique just because their underlying disorder is probably very ultra rare, whether it's genetic or non-genetic. And every patient comes in probably with a different diagnosis. So applying one systematic, one for all approach, it doesn't work. So the UDN is really unique in taking the N of one model. At the same time, trying to have a very systematic comprehensive and kind of reiterative approach to solving patients. So there's all the clinical data that we accumulate. You know, there are phenotypic gaps of patients who come in. We fill those in. We get additional phenotypic data. So we've got a very enriched and deep phenotype to work with. Sometimes that alone can lead to diagnoses. That doesn't lead to, and especially the non-genetic diseases fall into that category. If that doesn't lead to a diagnosis, sometimes based on the phenotype, we are probably reasonably certain we're dealing with something specific. And doing a targeted genetic test sometimes resolve that. If that doesn't help, then we do have exome and genome sequencing. For patients who come in exome naive, for example, genome sequencing is definitely a great tool. And I'm quoting unpublished data here. We're right now writing a paper. About 45% of exome negative patients do get resolved with genome. The others we are resolving by other means. For example, we reanalyze exome data from the outside lab. And about 25% of those we are able to resolve with just a reanalysis because we call genes and variants that a chemical lab might not. There are two examples there, a novel candidate gene. Clinical labs vary in how they prioritize those and when they would call those. And secondly, if there's a variant in a known disease gene that doesn't match the phenotype, a clinical lab might not call it. Whereas we in the UDN have this enriched phenotypic data 
and we can say, well, maybe there's an expanded phenotype here. Let's look at this variant a little bit further if it doesn't match. And then we have further technologies available to us. So for example, we have a novel disease gene. We've got an animal modeling center right within the UDN. We have three ways to model novel candidate genes, Drosophila, C. elegans, and zebrafish. So we can see those things to fruition. We share data internally. If we have a novel candidate gene, maybe another site has seen the same gene. So we can do case matching internally as well. We're also really good at pursuing outside collaborations when we have to. We've got a metabolomic score that helps us figure out metabolites that might give us clues to diagnosis. And then we use RNA-seq as an adjunct to determine you know, functional relevance of variants that we see. So it's this conglomeration of technology expertise that kind of blends itself really well. At the same time, we apply it in a very individualized way to each patient. What one patient gets in the UDN is very different from the next patient in the UDN. And Kimberly, I'm wondering if you can follow up on that a bit and sort of for me and for our listeners, kind of walk us through the journey of a typical patient that is looking for support from the UDN. I mean, what does the journey look like and what are the typical steps that they would be involved in? Yeah, so typically patients hear about the UDN either from their provider, from another patient who's been through the process, through searching undiagnosed and they come across the network. Usually the first step patients take is read about the UDN on our website if they do have access to the internet. We also have a help desk at the coordinating center. So patients often call us and we walk them through what the UDN process involves. If patients learn about the UDN or are interested in applying, we do ask that they get a letter of recommendation from a provider that they've seen in the past, a letter summarizing their workup thus far, what their evaluation has looked like clinically so that we can take the first step in evaluating if they may be a good participant for the UDN. Patients also complete an application either online or on paper and submit that to us. And that application is assigned to one of our clinical sites to review. The next step would be for the clinical site to work with the patient and provider to collect and review medical records to, again, assess what the clinical workup has been like already and see if the patient is a good fit for the network. So patient involvement can look like going to our website, talking with our help desk, and then interacting with the clinical site. But that process is different on a case-by-case basis as well. Interesting. This is our fourth in a a mini-series on clinical genome sequencing. And we've talked to a few experts on what patients are likely to benefit from this whole genome sequencing approach as a diagnostics platform. But Vandana, I'm wondering if you could share your advice for clinicians who are interested in having patient sequence. What types of patients would you recommend for genomic testing? And how do you go through that process of patient selection for a platform like this? Just like with any technology, when we have so many technologies that are available to us, sometimes as clinicians, it's tempting to go to the technology first. But I do feel that while NGS technologies are just amazing, my entire career has been revolutionized by them. I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that a clinician's interrogation of the history, personal family history, a careful physical exam, 
the value of that just can be undermined. I think so many of the diagnoses that we, we make can be made with just that in clinical practice. I have my feet in both worlds in the UDN and as well as a practice in clinical geneticist. And I have to remind myself that just moving to the technology is not the right answer because technologies like NGS can misdiagnosis that a clinician can make. So I would say seeing the patient formulating a differential diagnosis and based on that, if there's targeted testing that needs to be done, that would be the first step. If you're unsure what the patient has, let's say the presentation is very heterogeneous, like epilepsy and developmental delays, then I think a systematic testing approach, like ruling out a copy number variant, like ordering a chromosomal microarray, and then maybe moving on to gene panels that are targeted for that specific phenotype, because panels offer deletion duplication testing, the coverage of the individual genes involved might be better. And if that's not available or helpful, then moving on to exome genome sequencing is probably recommended. But remember, there are other modes of inheritance you also have to consider as you're moving on to NGS. Have you thought about epigenetic disorders, mitochondrial inheritance, things that wouldn't be immediately tractable by these methodologies? I think in clinical practice, exome is available, and I think that should be the first year. Because most of the variants we see are in the coding region, and the coverage across the exome with the recent capture kits is really good. So we don't have patchy coverage that we were faced with many years ago. And if that still doesn't provide an answer, I would say genome would be the next option. I was hunting around the UDN website, and I was really struck by some of the research publications that have, have come out of the network. And I was wondering if we could just spend a moment and talk about one specific article that was published recently in the journal Clinical Genetics. And it's titled, The Genome Empowerment Scale, An Assessment of Parental Empowerment in Families with Undiagnosed Disease. And for our listeners who might like to read this, you can find it using PubMed ID 314-48412. Vandana, I'm wondering if you can give us an overview of this paper. I mean, what is the genome empowerment scale and what's the particular value of parental empowerment in this context? This again came from the interest at our UDN site of trying to understand the psychological impact of being undiagnosed, whether you're an adult with an undiagnosed disease or you're a parent of a child who has an undiagnosed disease. And so, you know, we see this in clinic as well all the time, the amount of distress. So we kind of wanted to quantify that in terms of the technologies that are now available to us with exome and genome. Previously, we just never had that. And all of the literature on the so-called diagnostic odyssey that parents and patients go through in finding a diagnosis never included this sort of technologies. And these are complicated technologies to understand. So we wanted to develop a scale that assesses the expectations that people have when they're going to undergo sequencing and what comes of it at the other end. How are they utilizing it? And this work was done with two of my colleagues here, Alan McConkey and, and Steve Hooper, who I should give a lot of credit to. So we developed a scale that we can give to patients and parents before they start the sequencing process. And then we can longitudinally assess how they're doing once they get results, whether it's a diagnosis or no diagnosis. So the scale essentially measures four things, four big factors. One is how much meaning are they attributing to a diagnosis? We see some parents and patients coming in without no expectations because they've been through so many tests, they don't expect anything of this. And there are others who come in with really high expectations because they've heard about sequencing and they think this is it. And so that meaning has a lot because it sets up the expectations and how they react to the 
results later on. It also looks at the emotional management that skills that people bring into the process. If you're a person who's able to handle all of this complicated information and the results better than somebody else, that also has an impact on your outcome. We also then look at after they get results, are they seeking the right information and support that they need, connecting with other families, working with their provider to act on the results. And lastly, the implications of this for themselves and their family in terms of reproduction for them and their other family members. So it kind of ascertains all of this. And so what we found so far has been really interesting and we're trying to explore it further. Our goal ultimately is to have the scale available to clinicians who are practicing genomic medicine. And so by just giving this survey, they can kind of identify gaps that the parents might have or the patients might have that lend themselves to maybe seeking further help for them, whether it's further counseling, explaining things better, maybe somebody needs to see a psychologist or mental health issues might be kind of indicated, although this is not a mental health scale. So it's essentially to facilitate the patient journey through this process. And Kimberly, I'm just wondering, looking forward to the future, where do you see the UDN developing as a network? I mean, there are, are there specific initiatives or projects that you're working on now that, that you're excited to see about the future? Tell us what the future holds for UDN. Yeah, so right now we're having a lot of conversations about what the UDN will look like in the future and thinking more about sustainability. How do we continue to bring this model to more patients, to more sites, be able to combine this clinical and research approach in order to be able to provide more diagnoses to patients? So I would say that is our main area of focus right now and something that is a very exciting area to continue to grow and develop in the years to come. I'm interested in what excites you about the future of whole genome sequencing in rare disease diagnostics. What are you looking forward to the future? What do you think we'll see? I think whole genome for sure is going to be used much more frequently than it is now. Also, I'm hoping that it will be available much more widely than it is now. Hopefully, payers and other financial models for affording this will be worked out. I think the power of doing whole genome sequencing is it might circumvent the diagnostic process for many different individuals. That systematic procedure and exam that I talked about, I think it still has a very important role. But when you don't have a readily available avenue to diagnosis, I think whole genome is going to take that place, that first step when you don't know what you're dealing with. You can pick up copy number variants with some caveats. The coverage of the coding regions is excellent. So I do think it can shorten the diagnostic process. It can lead to management changes. And I definitely think that it's in our future. Kimberly, what excites you about the future? It doesn't have to necessarily be in whole genome sequencing, but what what are you looking forward to? So I agree with Vandana in the more accurate diagnosis piece and shortening the time to diagnosis for patients. It would be fantastic if we're able to see that in the next few years Also, understanding more about the underlying mechanism of disease in these conditions, I think we will be seeing more and more of, and ideally, as we learn more about the underlying mechanism, more about what's causing these conditions, we will hopefully be able to explore therapeutic options as well. I think that's an area that will continue to grow and develop in the future, looking at this N of 1 model and ideally being able to target therapeutics. 
And Paul, I just wanted to also add, I think there's so much more new disease gene discovery that needs to occur. And I think that whole genome sequencing, especially in research settings such as the UDN, can really facilitate that and that field can be expanded, finding new disease gene. Well, Vandana and Kimberly, I want to thank you so much for taking some of your time to talk to us about the UDN and about the work that you're doing on behalf of the clinical community and also patients. Thanks very much for joining us on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about the Undiagnosed Diseases Network, visit undiagnosed.hms.harvard.edu. If you like today's show, why not subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Send your comments or questions to podcast at Illumina.com. Join us next time right here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Podcast.